the sermon. And uh, just to flag up with you, on the back of that, there is a, um, a box that says thoughts, comments, uh, questions or prayer points. Uh, now the reason we have that is because after the sermon we have a, an opportunity for some discussion and some questions, if you'd like to do that. And uh, the, uh, you know, you, you might, as you're listening, you might just want to jot something down that you then want to kind of throw in or ask um, uh, at, at the end. Um, if, that, if the thought of that kind of petrifies you, please don't worry. Um, it's a, it's a um, yeah, it's a fairly... Um, relaxed time. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Uh, why don't we pray before we begin? Shall we? Let's, let's let's pray together. Father, we we just um, uh, come before you and ask you for a, for a heart of humility uh, before you. Uh, we ask, uh, Father, that you would um, be pleased to reveal your Son to us through your word, as we've just sung, that you would show us Jesus Christ. And that as you show us him, as you show us his uniqueness, as his, his glory, Father, we, we pray that uh, we would gladly, willingly submit to him. Father, we pray for the, um, pray for the, uh, the children who've just gone out um, to their groups Father, we, we just ask uh, that they would hear your word and that they would know Jesus for themselves. Help the teachers there to be clear and faithful. And pray that for me too, Father. Please help me to be clear and uh, faithful to your word. And we pray that as that happens, your spirit would work through it. Father, pray that for, for all churches. Pray that for the other churches in Camborne. Pray that for churches further afield. That uh, this morning they would be concerned with exalting your Son for your glory. Amen. Uh, why uh, must we follow Jesus? Uh, the world seems to offer so much, uh, doesn't it? Uh, so the world is kind of constantly screaming at us. Look, life and fulfilment are found in the products and the comfort that uh, uh, self-enjoyment uh, and, and, and the world offers us. You know, that, that's, where, that's where life is found. And I guess uh, on top of that, the world is, is constantly saying to us, look, we, we are self-sufficient. We're people who ought to be able to do what we want and to be who we are and to strive and to achieve and to live uh, up to, to our potential. So why would you then follow Jesus? Who, last week, uh, we saw, said that we must deny ourselves, deny yourself and take up an instrument of torture, take up your cross and follow him. Now, why must we do that? Well, last week, uh, we saw that, uh, that the promise that actually, that is where life is found, ironically. Uh, you know, so even as we lose this world and we lose everything that we could follow, we, 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 everything that we can hold on to, to follow Jesus, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, is to save your own soul. But you see, 
even as we weigh that up, we know that actually plenty of other religions offer that, don't they? Yeah, plenty of other religions offer, offer some kind of afterlife that's better than this one. Uh, eventually, after suffering, even as a result of suffering, with, with some other religions, you're promised a, a, you know, a, a kind of a nirvana or an eternity that's much better. So why not follow them? Why follow this Jesus? Well, uh, this week, uh, we see, uh, we're in this section of Mark's Gospel where, where the two big questions of Mark are combined. So who he is in the first half, how he's going to bring his kingdom, and, and we see those questions answered together. And what comes out of that is, is how we follow him. And this week we see that Jesus is totally unique. That's why we must follow him. He, he, is, not, he is not like a member of a sports team where you know, he's, he might, might just be a bit better than the other players uh, who, who all kind of have our own role, but he, he's the kind of uh, standout guy. Um, you know, uh, he, he's not like that. He's not a path of many just kind of leading up to the same points. And it's, uh, well, you choose you, your path and I'll choose mine. We, we must follow Jesus because he's the only one to follow Two things this week that tell us that, that tell us exactly that. The firstly, the first thing we see is Jesus is the son that we must listen to. Jesus is the son that we must listen to. So, uh, Jesus takes Peter and James and John. Remember, there's like 12 disciples and what he does, he takes three of them, Peter, James and John, uh, away with him up a mountain. And Jesus has done this before, not up a mountain, but he, he's taken away just these followers. Do you remember chapter 5, uh, where he, he raised that girl from the dead and he, he took them just into the house? And uh, as Jairus' daughter has been raised. And, and so what, what it says to you, as soon as you see Peter, James and John being taken aside, you know that Jesus is going to show them something that's significant. And what we see here is he's, he's transfigured, he's, he's transformed. Just have a look at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So there they are, they're on a mountain and the outward appearance of Jesus changes. He becomes brilliant white. They see Jesus in this, in this kind of radiant glory that cannot be matched by anything on earth. And verse 4 tells us that they're not alone. Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. Now, if you don't know who Moses and Elijah are, they are two key Old Testament prophets. So Moses was a guy who led God's people out of, um, out of slavery in Egypt, and he gave them the law, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And Elijah was a prophet who, who turned... God's people from false gods to the true living God. In one sense, he gave them life. And what's interesting is they actually appear together in the Old Testament, just as they do here. Now, they don't do that in person in the Old Testament, uh, uh, but in preparation for God coming to his people. So just have a look uh, at this. Have a look at what's written in the, uh, in the book of uh, Malachi, 
um, here. God, what's happened? God has promised to come to judge those who are against him, to save those who fear him. And here's what he says. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, the very next verse, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So you see, God is coming. God himself is coming to bring his kingdom. And what are they to do? They're to remember Moses and they are to expect Elijah. And suddenly, at the top of a mountain, here they are, the two of them together. But Jesus is there too. Now, Peter reacts to this, and he suggests that they set up three shelters or three uh, tents. Uh, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And verse 6 tells us that he does that because he just doesn't know what to say. He's terrified of what's going on. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was, a, it was a bad idea. You see, with the coming of God, the Jews were expecting him uh, once again to dwell in the same way that he did in the Old Testament, to come and dwell in a tent. So that's, that's kind of probably what's in Peter's mind, that he has to build a dwelling place for, for God who has come. But what's interesting, do you see, he, he, he offers that for the three people there. He sees Moses and Elijah and Jesus as, as equals, just all, all players on the same uh, team. And he wants to build a tent for each of them. Now, before Peter can build anything, something extraordinary happens, something we don't often see. Uh, in fact, we only see once uh, uh, one other point in the Gospel, and that is God the Father speaks. And he tells them exactly what is going on have a look at verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. You see, Jesus, standing there, blazing white glory, is now on his own before them. And God says, this is my son. And the point is, he's the one. You know, he is revealed here in a way that he hasn't been revealed before. So they've seen that he's the Messiah, they've seen that he's a special king, but he's revealed here as God's own son. And it's as if God is saying, look, stop, now is the time, stop remembering Moses, stop looking for Elijah, listen to my son. Listen to him. You see, Jesus, he's not an equal, he's not a voice among many, he's the only voice. He's the son of God who, who, who came to bring God to us. Jesus is the son that we must listen to. Now the question is, what does that mean? You know, is God saying you need to listen to everything Jesus says in a very general way? Well, of course, that is true. Uh, we do need to do that. But 
what Jesus has been telling his disciples in Mark's Gospel, and particularly in this section of Mark's Gospel, is quite specific, isn't it? And, and, and what happens is the very next thing they do is they come down the mountain is he tells them again what he's been telling them. This is what they need to listen to. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> As Jesus was coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus will rise from the dead. This is how he'll bring his kingdom. And you would have thought, wouldn't you, that actually having seen Jesus, the Son of God, before them, these disciples would now have no doubts about this. Because what they've seen on the mountain, it's almost as if they caught a glimpse of the resurrection. They've, they've always seen what Jesus will look like in his glory as he rises from the dead. But amazingly, they still don't get it. You see there, verse 10, uh, they, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the, from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? You see, Peter, James and John, they're expecting this general resurrection. They think that God's kingdom will come. And so, uh, you know, very, very generally, um, even with Jesus there, so they're still thinking, well, oh, we're, we're waiting for Elijah. They're not listening to him as God has just told them. And so Jesus puts them straight in verse 12. Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they've done to him everything they wished, just as it was written. You see, Elijah has come. He has come before the resurrection. He has come before God himself because, of course, the Elijah that Jesus is talking about is John the Baptist, who, who pointed to Jesus and was beheaded in chapter 6. And the resurrection, seeing Jesus in his glory, only follows as Jesus goes the same way. As we saw last week, Jesus must suffer. That is the thing that they must listen to. The, the, the resurrection that, that they are expecting, that it won't come en masse following Elijah. And it won't be found by holding on to the law. It won't be found in other religions or just living for ourselves here and now. As the Son of God, only Jesus can bring it. And he must suffer and die to do so. That's what they need to listen to. The sun must suffer and die and rise. So listen to the sun. Now that sounds really obvious, doesn't it? <clears throat> you know, I mean, that applies to us. We, we need to listen to that. We need to listen that Jesus died and rose again. Sounds really obvious because we, we have, I guess we, we know what happens, don't we? We have this kind of helicopter view of the gospel. We know that that's exactly what happened to Jesus. <clears throat> but you see, actually, we need to hear that again and again. That Jesus had to suffer before he was raised. Because what that does is it shapes our expectations in following the king, this king. You know, we... If Jesus must suffer before glory, that means that actually 
the suffering that we endure as Christians is not some that we deliberately look for. Uh, it's not suffering in a way that you shut yourself off from the world. Actually, it's suffering that is inevitable just for following him. Just by following Jesus, you know, we, we will suffer because he had to suffer. And as we remember that, actually, we, we, we won't expect our Christian lives now to be easy or glory just to, be come to, it, to come to us and be given to us on a plate. I guess that's what most of the other voices in the world tell us, isn't it? That we ought to enjoy ourselves, that we, that we deserve it, that we should expect comfort now. But Jesus says, no, there is a road of suffering that is inevitable. Listen to him. And equally... You know, knowing that the glory that we've, we've just seen a glimpse of, you know, Jesus in a brilliant white glory, knowing that that is coming and he is the son of God who guarantees that, the only one who can provide it, well, actually, that helps us, doesn't it, to endure suffering now for the sake of Christ. We, we know it's worthwhile. We know it's worthwhile because we know that through the Son, the resurrection is coming. He is the son we must listen to. He's the only one who can bring that glory to us. Now, it's not that we just must listen to that to shape our expectations, but actually we, we must believe in it ourselves for it to come to us. We must believe. This is the second thing we see. Jesus is the saviour we must believe in. Jesus is the saviour we must believe in. So, having come down from the mountain, Peter, James and John, and of course Jesus, they come to the other disciples, and it's clear they've actually had, they haven't got this, you know, they've not been given this, this amazing vision of glory to come. Actually, uh, they're having an argument, they've had a really bad time, they're having an argument with the teachers of the law. And what happens is they come down and a bunch of people, a crowd, run over to Jesus and he asks them what they're arguing about. And we see uh, what, what the issue is in verse 17. Have a look uh, down there. Uh, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not do it. The disciples couldn't do it. And at this point, Jesus doesn't nail the disciples. Actually, he says there's a problem with everyone. So have a look at verse 19. Uh, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I, I stay with you? Uh, how long shall I... Shall I Put up with you. Uh, bring the boy to me. See, Jesus is fed up with the people. He's fed up with the crowd because of their lack of faith. Now, the boy was brought to the disciples who obviously thought that they could do something. But that doesn't mean they believed in God. It doesn't mean that they, they had faith in Jesus. And, and we see that that is actually what is needed. As the boy is brought to Jesus in verse 20, he's convulsing and he's kind of falling around and he's foaming at the mouth. And his, 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 his father explains that actually this is not the worst of it. 
uh, and he requests Jesus for help. Have a look at what he says in verse 22. Uh, he says, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, the man clearly has some kind of of doubt as to the ability of Jesus, whether Jesus can do this. His disciples couldn't do it, can Jesus do it? And what he does is he recognises that before Jesus and he cries out for true faith. He's saying, look, I know you can in my head, but right now in this situation, I'm asking you to help me to trust you to, to, to know that you really can do this. What happens? Well, Jesus casts out the Spirit. And the picture of the healing is really interesting there in verse 26. You see, the Spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. You see, this is a spirit who wants to kill him, and it looks like he does. The boy looks dead, and Jesus brings him to his feet. He gives him life. See, this is not just casting out. It's, it's, a, it's a resurrection. And this is what Jesus is able to do. After the drama, the disciples and Jesus are alone, and actually, it's there that we really see the point of this episode. Have a look at verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now look, Jesus is not saying to them, if you had prayed hard enough, actually, you could have done it. Disciples would never have been able to do it. They, they can't give the boy new life. The reason only prayer would have worked is because only God can do it. Only Jesus, the Son, can do this. Only Jesus can give you new life. Only he can bring people back from the dead. That's the point. Only Jesus can do it. He's the saviour. So you see, we need to trust in him. No one else. Not even ourselves. If only he can do it, we need to trust in him. Now the thing is, I guess, so often, the reality is, that when it actually comes to the crunch, we don't believe in him. So I, I remember a few years ago, um, uh, my, uh, my granddad was dying, and um, he was over, he was in uh, Colchester Hospital, probably around an hour and a half from here, and you know, I could clearly see that he was, gonna, he was going to die. Uh, the, 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 it's just obvious. And he wasn't a Christian. 
And so I made a point of going there to tell him the good news about Jesus. And I, I you know, I talked to him about this. I might read him a verse from the Bible and I might uh, pray for him. And um, I mean, nothing really came of it. I, I never knew whether he really, uh, whether he, he trusted or not. But here's the thing. I remember in the last few days, I would drive down there and I vividly remember in the car thinking, I think this is a waste of time. I, I'm not sure this will work. Like my head was consumed by those thoughts. I, I'm not sure that Jesus is able. Now those were very clear thoughts at that point, but, but you see, when I think about it, isn't that how I am a lot of the time? So don't, don't you ever look around Papworth and Camborne, and you see people who have nice lives, but they desperately, desperately need Jesus. And you end up thinking, really? Can Jesus really save that person? Is he really able to save this person? Won't, if I tell them the gospel, won't that just look stupid? Is he really able? You see, I, I see my own heart at times. I, I see the depth of my own sin and I react by trying to exalt myself or I you, get angry with myself because I'm not sure that Jesus is big enough to deal with it. You see, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the saviour. I know that, but so often my reactions show that I have unbelief. And in reality, do you know what? I don't think we ever get past the point of the Father here. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I don't think we ever get past that. And the encouragement for you this morning, the encouragement for me this morning is, look, that's normal. Okay, so if you ever feel inadequate in your, in your faith, please know that that's, that's normal, especially in desperate times. And actually, do you know what? To push that a step further, I don't, I, I don't think it's not, it's not only normal, but it's actually exactly the kind of faith that Jesus wants. So, you see, if we come to Jesus saying, why couldn't I do this? That, then we're just, we're just trusting in ourselves. We're, we're, we're thinking, shouldn't I be able? Shouldn't I be the saviour? Shouldn't, shouldn't Jesus just be a person who makes me better, who equips me? And if we come to Jesus thinking, well, I have enough faith in you for this to be done. Again, we're trusting in ourselves. Thinking that if we have enough faith, then Jesus will accomplish big things. In one sense, we're just, we're just trying to control him and we can't do that. Yeah, it's just not true that, that if we trust enough, this person will be healed. Or if we trust enough, this person will be saved. Jesus is able, but, it, but it's up to him. Instead, Jesus says, only by prayer. That's the kind of faith uh, that says that, that he wants. You know, it's the kind of faith that says, look, I cannot do this. I, I simply cannot do this, and only you can do it, because you're the saviour, and so I'm going to ask you. Please, would you do it? And in and of myself, I, I can't even believe that you can do it. So help me, help me overcome my unbelief.
and trust that you alone are able. Even if and when you don't grant it. Now I guess that's helpful, isn't it? You know, that, that's really helpful for us as a church. Isn't it to be praying, as we try to reach this community, to be praying, we can't do this. Only you can do it. So help us to believe that you can do it. Help us to trust that you can do it. Help us overcome our unbelief. It's helpful, isn't it, for us as we live our Christian lives and as we go through difficult times, as we see our own sin, as those times persist, we need to say, I can't do this. I can't, I can't follow you. You know, only you can save me. So help me to keep believing in you. Help me to overcome my unbelief. He's the son. He's the only one who's able to come, uh, is able to give life. And he's the saviour we need to believe in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much.